Radio Mano Papachango. Chris, this is Brady out in nowhere, Nevada, 150 miles northwest of Las Vegas, out on a baler at 4 a.m. making alfalfa. I uh, just wanted to call, say love your show, and recently my dad passed away in a motorcycle accident, um, and it was coincided with your talk with Duncan Trussell. And it was very helpful, to say the least. Um, still a hard time dealing with it, but your everything you guys said was inspirational. Anyway, take care. Love the body of here if you ever threw Rachel Nevada. Thanks. Hi, Chris. Maxwell here. And Michael Eve. Uh, we are coming to you from our car. We are driving through. South Utah, we're on the last leg of what's been a six-month uh, cross-country road trip that's been full of very high highs and low lows. We are on our way back to Boise, Idaho, which is home for us. Uh, yeah, we just really wanted to say that we really enjoy all of your work. Um, your book, Sex at Dawn, was a really powerful resource for us in validating our relationship and our lifestyle. Um, the podcast as well has provided so much encouragement to us for our travels and our relationship. Um, we really appreciate you and your visions and your influence and all of your enthusiasm. So we just wanted to say thank you and we keep love it you. coming. We love you. We really enjoy all of your work. Thanks, Chris. Bye. What's up? Thank you, Brady, Maxwell, and Michaeline. Uh, sorry for the road noise, but it lends an air of authenticity to those things, doesn't it? And the uh, the Baylor noise. <laughs> uh, yeah, those came in a while ago, so I hope you still listen to the podcast and, and hear yourself there. I got so many of those intros for a while that I just got totally buried. Um, so apologies for the, the delay uh, on playing them. I still have probably close to 100 of them banked. Um, but if you don't mind a wait and you're not sensitive about these things, you can send them in to intro at tangentiallyspeaking.com. Try to keep them brief, 30 seconds or so, and uh, just let us know what you're up to. Um, thank you very much for the kind words about the podcast and, and you know me and all that, but it's not necessary. I, I don't want to just you know play a bunch of people saying, we love you, Chris, you're great, because uh, I'm not that great, but uh, you are, so tell us more about yourself. Uh, let's let's do that. Uh, what's going on here? This episode is with Dr. Uh, Ted Akochos, Acho, oh, I always fuck up his name, it's Achacoso, Achacoso, exactly, right, um, it's, uh, it's a special one. This guy, 
we don't really talk about this, but if you Google him, you'll see that he is purported to have one of the highest IQs in the world. Um, average around 195, apparently. Uh, he's super smart. Uh, I don't know about IQ, uh, how much I really care about that, but uh, he got a, a degree in biology at 18 and was a, an MD by 22. So the guy definitely uh, knows how to learn. And um, he started uh, a clinic where he works with the microbiome and sort of um, looking at the body at a molecular level, trying to figure out what's going on before you run into problems. Um, he was recommended to me by a listener of the podcast uh, who I should uh, give a shout out to, Shekhar. Thank you, Shekhar. Again, this was a long time ago. This was uh, in like June, I think. Uh, he reached out to me and said, hey, I, I know this guy. He's my mentor. He's super smart, really interesting. He does some podcasts. And if you like, I'll talk to him and, and try to get him on yours. And I said, sure, why not? Um, so he agreed to it. Uh, interestingly, he doesn't seem to have his own uh, website, um, so I don't have a link to his website on my page here, um, but I put up uh, a link uh, to um, a video that he did, a really interesting conversation about uh, nootropics and psychedelics and so on. This is an excellent episode to listen to if you're tired of hearing me talk. Um, because partly because uh, the good doctor has a lot to say and he knows exactly what he what he's you know what's on his mind um, and I just didn't want to interrupt um, it wasn't necessary for me to sort of nudge the conversation along as you'll hear um, but also because of the the remote recording it's it's hard you know you you interrupt and they don't hear you interrupt and so they're already into the next thing and you know what it is the the zoom delay thing um so between those two things i just sort of you know let ted talk and um i think i don't even ask a question until like 15 minutes into it so so if you're one of those people who's like, yeah, I like Chris's podcast, but he fucking talks too much sometimes. Well, this is for you. You're going to love this episode. Uh, what else can I tell you? Oh, reminder, I always forget to remind you that one of the ways you can support the podcast, especially in this holiday season, if you shop on Amazon, if you go through my website and use the Amazon link on my website, a small percentage of whatever you spend on Amazon will go to support the podcast. Um, yeah, just go to uh, tangentiallyspeaking.com or thatchrisryan.com and you'll see it says uh, use this little Amazon link or something. It's on the margin on the web page on the computer. I think you have to scroll down on the phone, but you'll find it. Um, that's an excellent way to support the podcast. You're spending money anyway. It doesn't add anything to your price, it just uh, takes a little chunk out of Amazon's profit margin. And let's face it, they can fucking afford it, right? Uh, Jesus. Yeah, not to be conspiracy-minded or anything, but, you know, a global pandemic is a pretty good, uh, pretty good thing for a company like Amazon. 
I'm not blaming them. I'm not saying they planted it. It's a huge loss for other massive companies. So I, I don't subscribe to any sort of uh, conspiracy. You know, there are novel viruses mutating all the time. I think it's like every 20 years or so there's a, a pandemic. Um, and most of them aren't as destructive as this one. So generally we luck out, but you can't uh, can't dodge all the bullets. I hope you're doing all right out there. It's a strange time. Very strange time and getting stranger. I think we're going to have a, a tough winter, um, but try to keep yourself safe. Wear that mask, both for yourself and um, and more importantly for other people, because none of us know if we're actually infected and uh, infectious. So wear the mask when you're out and about in the world. I don't think you need to wear the mask when you're driving around alone in your car, though. I see people doing that, and I, I wonder what they're thinking. Um, I'm also spending a lot of time outside, a lot more than I normally would in these sorts of temperatures. Here in uh, Colorado at 8,000 feet, it's pretty brisk. Um, but I still like to go into town and get a cappuccino and sit in the sun um, and, uh, you know, I guess because of the altitude, that sun is really warm, even, even when the air is freezing cold. And, uh, you know, it's good for your vitamin D, which, uh, seems to be important in protecting against the virus, but it's also good. Uh, I think it's just a good habit to spend time outside, put on a jacket, enjoy yourself. All right. I guess I am going to leave it there. I have some things I wanted to talk about, but maybe I'll do Aroma. And uh, I don't want to mess up this nearly Chris Ryan free episode by ranting and raving too much here at the beginning. I normally like to play you out with some music you've never heard before. Um, but I think I'm going to play you out with a song you have definitely heard before. It was a huge hit 15 years or so ago, 17 years ago. Uh, it's, uh, it's, you know, there's a beautiful place for rap music that is hopeful and optimistic and kind. And, uh, this song is an excellent example of that. Plus it's got a connection to the Philippines. One of the singers is uh, in the Philippines and he talks about growing up in the Philippines and how happy people were, even though, uh, his family had very little. And, uh, that's a theme that recurs throughout this podcast. This is Where is the Love? And the band is Black Eyed Peas. Thanks for listening. Thanks for supporting the podcast, however you do it. And I will be back with you soon. Only attracted to the
things that'll bring the trauma Overseas, yeah, we trying to stop terrorism But we still got terrorists here living In the USA, the big CIA The Bloods and the Crips and the KKK But if you only have love for your own race Then you only leave space to discriminate And to discriminate only generates hate And when you hate, then you're bound to get irate Yeah, madness is what you demonstrate And that's exactly how anger works and operates Man, you gotta have love just to set it straight Take control of your mind and meditate Let your soul gravitate to the love, y'all, y'all People killing, people dying Children hurt and you hear them crying Can you practice what you preach And what you turn the other cheek Father, 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 help us Send some guidance from above These people got me, got me questioning Where is the love? Strange is the world insane? If love and peace is so strong, why are the pieces of love that don't belong? Nations dropping bombs, chemical gases filling lungs of little ones with ongoing suffering. As the youth are young, so ask yourself, is the loving really gone? So I could ask myself, really, what is going wrong in this world that we living in? People keep on giving in, making wrong decisions, only visions of them dividends, not respecting each other, denying thy brother. A war's going on, but the reason's undercover. The truth is kept secret, it's swept under the rug. If you never know truth, then you never know love. What's the love, y'all? Come on, I don't know. What's the truth, y'all? Come on, I don't know. What's the love, y'all? People killing, people dying, children hurt and you hear them crying. When you practice what you preach and what you turn the other cheek, Father, 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 help us. The world on my shoulder As I'm getting older Your people gets older Most of us only care about money making Selfishness got us following the wrong direction Wrong information always shown by the media Negative images is the main criteria Infecting the young minds faster than bacteria Kids wanna act like what they see in the cinema yeah. Whatever happened to the values of humanity Whatever happened to the fairness and equality Instead of spreading love, we're spreading animosity Lack of understanding leading us away from unity That's the reason why sometimes I'm feeling under That's the reason why sometimes I'm feeling down It's no wonder why sometimes I'm feeling under Gotta keep my faith alive till love is found Now ask yourself Where is the love? Where is the love? Where is the love? One word, one word, we only got one word, one word, that's all we got One word, one word, and something's wrong with it, yeah. something's wrong with it, yeah. something's wrong with the good world, world, yeah We only got one word, one word, that's all we got One word
right. I'm speaking with Dr. Ted Acachoso. Acachoso, is that correct? Achacoso. Achacoso. Is that uh, Tagalog? Or what, what uh, Spanish. Sort of name is it? Spanish. It's a Spanish ah. name, yes. Ah. Remember, the history of the Philippines it can be summarized very quickly. It's uh, 300 years in the convent and 50 years of Hollywood. So the convent is a Sp- <laughs> the Spanish era, you know, and then the American invasion uh, yeah. in the 1940s, you know, from the brief uh, Japanese occupation. So you that's, lived, that's you grew up in the Philippines? I grew up there. Uh, I've been in the United States for over 30 years now. But 11 years ago, I started uh, working there again um, as a physician in uh, Manila, uh, and I go there still 30 days uh, every quarter. So, you know, it's a long haul, 22-hour uh, flying, but uh, it has reconnected me back to the neurosis of the culture, uh, as you know, they can <laughs> suck you down. But at the same time, the joys of being back uh, there. Um uh, there, I actually started a whole new clinical framework for medicine, which is health-based rather than uh, illness-based, right? Uh, illness medicine is uh, basically uh, the uh, diagnosis and treatment of disease. And what I call health optimization medicine or HOME uh, and health optimization practice or hope for non-doctors is just a detection and correction of imbalances in the metabolites or the small molecules in the body that are uh, metabolic intermediates and shift them to your age between 21 and 30 years old. I don't make any claims. It's, it's just that uh, it's about time that 11 years ago, uh, everything was booming in terms of, say, evolutionary medicine and uh, mitochondria, microbiota, you know, uh, chronobiology in terms of sleep, exposomics in terms of toxins, you know, um, and we had the technology which has uh, uh, been 40 years, uh, you know, out of the clinics and it's now started to invade the clinics and say, hey, look, the stuff that we used to memorize in medical school in biochemistry, we can now measure them like your vitamins, your minerals, your your cofactors, your hormones. And I saw that no one was doing this and no one was taking care of the fundamental cell. Like everything was specialized, right? right. Uh, you look at the brain function and the heart function and the liver function, but no one is uh, actually paying attention that all of those uh, are made up of the basic cell that has a nucleus, mitochondria, cytoplasm, cell membrane, etc. I said, well, you know, let's take care of this. Much like your car has a maintenance warning light every 3,000 miles and say you ought to go to uh, have your car maintained. And uh, before we didn't have any maintenance uh, system, right? But now we did. And you're going to love this because the way I uh, tell this to the public is that our bodies are actually uh, model Ford uh, 
T's, you know, uh, the make and model of our body is model 4T. We're not a Tesla breed, you know, so our fuel uh, is different. It's uh, back to the Paleolithic uh, fuel, you know, that that's what we take, you know, and even the connections, our social connections, etc., are all coming in uh, from that period. And uh, I also lecture um, uh, the fact that it is uh, agriculture and animal husbandry that cause us to actually actually live together and we now we have a lot of the diseases of of uh, staying together in one place right so this is all like uh, at that period in time i said who's going to put this all together and how do we shift medicine away from just repairing things like you know you you replace a car tire you do a heart transplant right you you uh cool an engine uh you give an antipyretic you know for the fever is that is that's all we do in medicine is is this uh you know drugs and uh, surgery but i said but how, what about maintenance who's going to do that right so and in the course of doing the seven pillars of health optimization medicine, that's where, you know, evolutionary medicine uh, comes into play. Like, what what is our make and model really, right? Uh, and uh, I, I read an article before, which is really interesting, um, uh, is, is that uh, they talked to uh, S. Boyd Eaton, the original guy who did uh, Paleolithic prescription, right? It was not uh, right. Laurent Cordain. And I attended his lecture at GW, uh, you know, as faculty there at the School of Medicine. Uh, and uh, when he was promoting the book, and uh, he had an interview a few years ago. He rarely gives interviews. And he said, if you want to go Paleolithic, you know, you got to reduce world's population to, um, you know, to 800,000. And then maybe you can do Paleolithic. And that's why I agree with you that we should incentivize uh, people not to have children, right? Because we're, we're, we're overpopulated. Um uh, I, when I, I got back to the Philippines, I also, uh, you know, uh, practicing there this new form of medicine. I also had to provide proof of concept, right? That this is not only good for your health, right? Where you monitor your vitamins, minerals, cofactors, and hormones and put them to the age where you're between 21 and 30 and taking a look, making no claims uh, that your, your your health is actually getting better there by, by several metrics, right? Um but also when you when you are introducing a new framework like this you have also have to prove that it's economically viable for the practitioner right that the practitioner can make money out of it so that my proof of concept was set there uh, and then now, 11 years later, you know, uh, we're uh, having a global movement. I started a, a nonprofit here uh, in the United States. Uh, it's at homehope.org to teach doctors and healthcare practitioners on the process of detecting and correcting imbalances in the body so you could have better health. And the lens by which I view it is very evolutionary, right? I, I'm, I teach my students always, you know, if you know the, the pathway, the evolutionary pathway, you're more likely going to be able to uh, answer the question correctly. Um, like, uh, uh, for example, way before... Uh, we're in the coronavirus pandemic now. And way before that, uh, 
people were asking me how to decrease the severity of the COVID in the lungs. And I said, you know, you have to give uh, hydrocortisone or high doses of some steroid uh, because that is, that's its function, right? Is to decrease inflammation and prevent fibrosis. When, you know, you go to a dermatologist and you want to decrease, for example, the, the scarification of your skin. Uh, and your skin, by the way, is the same uh, embryo embryologically is derived from the same tissue as your brain, right? Uh, if you want to prevent a scarification of that, you put some topical steroid. And uh, surprisingly, the doctors at the time when that I, I was consulted on, they were adamant they didn't want to use because uh, the, 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 their thinking was it's going to spread the virus, right? And then the studies came out, you know, they use a longer acting steroid like dexamethasone that actually decreased uh, that. But that's all coming from just fundamentals on how our body evolved. And I think this is your point of view in in um, in both of your books, where we are uh, the world that we have created uh, is no longer um, our bodies are no longer suited for the world that we have created, right? And yeah, that is yeah. the main point of uh, the the whole point uh, behind evolutionary medicine. But um, we're also I'm, I'm, that's why I I started looking at the body also, Chris, as one level down, more like uh, we are the ecosystem itself. Uh, and that's been called the holobiont, right? We are an ecosystem of cells. And if you look at us, the mitochondria, those uh, powerhouses of the cell, they're actually bacteria. We have about 100 quadrillion of them that power us every day. And they're the source of the currency of energy that runs through us. And they're bacteria, they have circular DNA and so on. And they're inside uh, another organism, the anaerobic organism, right? So if you take a look at your fundamental cells, actually made up of two organisms. But what about, uh, you know, if you have this point of view of the body being an ecosystem of cells, then you would consider also your microbiota or your gut bacteria as part of your body because it's part of your ecosystem. It's two kilos down there. And we've been saying, no, that's not part of us. No, it is part of us. Right. Uh, the, for example, um, in in uh, in medical school, we were taught that urine was uh, normally sterile. It's not. The ureters that carry uh, the urine from the kidney to your bladder are now shown shown to have um, uh, 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 their own bacteria. Right. Um, uh, last November in Milan, uh, there was a. Uh, I was attending, uh, you know, microbiota in in uh, children. Right. And. And infants, and uh, they showed that uh, even microbiota can show up in the placenta. So we we were trying to look at uh, ourselves as a septic being, but we're we're actually, you know, even in our skin, we have all of these uh, 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 cells and bacteria and and so on that are actually part of us. So when you start looking at it that way, you start looking at us as an environment. You'll start thinking about health differently. You start thinking about us differently, right? And uh, for uh, how we evolved from single cells to multicellular organisms and what are we really doing with our energy? And uh, the big divide that I see now, um, you know, uh, I confess to you earlier before I started this that I read both of your books. The big divide I think that the people don't realize is that there are uh, uh, genetically or or bi what I call bioevolutionary programmed uh, 
uh, mechanisms within us, right, that are very hard to control. And a sample of that is, uh, for example, the cognitive biases when we behave, right? Uh, we have, uh, because these are shortcuts, our brain heuristics. Uh, like, for example, everyone wants to be uh, a rock star at some point in time, but you go and visit the cemetery and you see how many, uh, you know, people had the same dream. Uh, but we tend to ignore you know that because we're built to be optimistic so that we will survive so we have an optimism bias for survival so these are brain shortcuts to keep us keep us alive and we're wired that way and then on the other way we're socioculturally programmed and i think that's where um uh, people tend to make uh you know mistakes in terms of looking at what's bioevolutionarily programmed and what's socioculturally programmed right um uh, and the, the the reason for that is that we we create so many uh, conflict in society when we try to carry what's socially socioculturally programmed in us by one culture. Like for example, I'm here in the United States, and then I carry it over to the Philippines, and it doesn't work. Right. Uh, mm. The first time I worked there uh, 11 years ago, I just held a meeting, you know, I was starting a, a company for uh, for a pharmaceutical company that I was uh, consulting for in terms of health. And after the meeting, I was pulled aside and I was said, you know, you made two of those people uh, in the meeting cry. And I really I, I was just totally blown away. I said, what did I do? What did I say? And culturally, you're supposed to walk around eggshells and be sensitive and feel and be indirect, right? And after being mm. here for so many years, I've learned to be direct and say exactly what needs to get done without uh, things getting mm. personalized by other person. So um, and, and this this is social cultural programming, right? It's a totally different from your bioevolution programming. But the the problem is these are you know these are actually hierarchical. So whatever is socially culturally programmed ultimately g goes down deep into your bioevolutionary programming. And the example that I always give when I teach this is like you know your simple thirst becomes a thirst for justice, right? Uh, so uh, so that's that, that's the way I, I I think about this. It's like we have this bioevolutionary programs. On top of that, social culture programs are generally symbolic, right? Because we we learn them by brain processing, and it's a lot of cortical function. Um, yeah. As a neuroscientist, a computational neuroscientist here in the United States, you know, um, uh, the thing that I did was I provide the first connectome or the first wiring for the brain for C. elegans, which is a worm, uh, you know, a celebrated worm uh, that's used a workhorse for anti-aging, which is uh, my current specialty. And um, it, I, I'm always back to looking at our behaviors and how we're wired uh, evolutionarily right uh, yeah, uh, yeah and you're you're very much interested in behavior etc and you see that immediately that we're wired for survival and reproduction right and so how 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 do we then uh, uh, go and educate ourselves via via all of the sociocultural programs and see what's best for us in in fact, Chris, I've been screaming out there uh, at the lack of world cooperation on the pandemic virus. And I said, look at where, where this bringing us, bringing out the worst of us, where what should be happening right now is that this is a 
coming to Jesus moment for us, right? Where we should uh, actually say, where do you want to bring the species forward? How do we how do we bring the species forward? And what is it that brings the species forward? And for me, uh, one of the things that uh, uh, I've been challenged with by my students is like, well, you know, how do you define then what it is to be human? Right? How do you define what it is to be human? And I, 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 I say it really very, very simply. I said it's being able to go against the grain of your evolutionary programming. Right. Take a look. We used to leave uh, our elderly in the forest when we were uh, nomadic people. So they would just uh, get up, eaten up by by, uh, uh, you know, the animals in the forest and they die there because they slow us down. Right. But now we have the Americans for Disabilities Act. So that's going against the grain of what we're programmed to. Is Uh, it really, though? Don't we put our old people in homes now because they slow us down because they're inconvenient and they're in these uh rest homes now where they're dying from coronavirus at incredible rates, and we're not really doing anything about it. It seems like a a modern uh, replication of the same old behavior patterns. Yes, yes. (laughs) <laughs> that's that's true. The, in fact, the first uh, reported case of coronavirus was in uh, a home uh, for um, uh, elderly people in uh, Washington State, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, but, in Seattle. But, but then yeah. it, it gives us uh, things to think about, like, you know, euthanasia, for example, or abortions and all of these things that are biologically programmed in us but since we're looking at this earth uh where we are which are only home in like in fact i like to tease these days like we're the viruses of the earth right we we use up its resources uh we destroy it etc and then we fly off in spaceships to another uh planet and do what the same thing survive and reproduce and then fly off to another planet and do the same thing it's like so is now is the time to think about is there something more you know, to to us uh, as a species, and and now that we see what we're capable of and what we're doing, you know, how how do we then move forward as a species, knowing that we're just one species in a network? You know, the nice thing about health optimization is that you have to move the entire network. You know, I have used to criticize here in the U.S. You give a a, a guy testosterone, and that's it. It's like no, no, you know, the testosterone is one anabolic hormone in the network. It's it's uh you know it's balanced out by by catabolic hormones and so on. So you have to move the entire network down, and that's yeah. been our yeah. uh, that's been our error, right? Uh, it's not considering how networked we are. Well, speaking, so you, you've said things. You've you've made me think of so many things in the last few minutes. One of them is talking about the the body as a community, as a system of of separate organisms that are all working in unison. I think about this a lot, and and related to your your other point about what it means to be a human being. You know, I had the insight that uh, you know, as you said, we're composed of. Uh, mitochondria, which have distinct DNA, they're separate organisms from us. The 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 uh, microbiome in our gut, on our skin, in our eyes, in our blood. It's it's it, we're we're this community. So why should we suppose then that we are the top level of this community? What what organisms are are built of us? In other words, right? Each level of organism seems to be more complex and built of, of simpler organisms. So why do we assume that we're the top level of this? I look at institutions, governments, 
religions, I see them as super organisms. I see them functioning according to their own agendas, which are generally indifferent to the the agenda of us as individual, uh, you know, biological organisms. And so when we start talking about what should we do, what does it mean to be human, how do we um, sort of make decisions as to how to handle this virus or how to handle the environmental crisis and so on, to me it seems, you know, despite the uh, biological bias toward optimism that you mentioned, I kind of come to the conclusion that it's very difficult for us as a species to really do anything because these decisions are not being made at the level of humanity. They're being made at the level of the superorganisms within which we are embedded. Yeah, um, there's uh, actually something that I use in terms of thinking that way. Uh, it, it, you know, uh, I, one, uh, one of the words that I, uh, I, I uh, use as a colloquialism is I, I verbize the noun fractal. You know, what gets fractalized or what pattern gets repeated over and over in evolution, right? It's a survival and reproduction. And and then uh, so we we see that going over and over, um, and when we now go from the physical to the symbolic realm, we tend to do the same things, right? We attach, we create uh, uh, institutions that have a quality of agency to them. You know uh, that there are. Uh, uh, people that are filling them up, et cetera, et cetera. I think our big mistake uh, uh, into what we have done into those institutions is that, like, initially, uh, the way I, I think about it and explain it to students is that initially, you know, you think of Apple as this small company that uh, this uh, small company that was just, you know, it was the people who comprised of the company, right? Then suddenly we abstracted the whole structure and, you know, the CEO position is uh, chewed and spat out. The You know, all of these positions are, are, are just being uh, replaced together. And all we have is an abstraction of the uh, institutional organism. And there must be a way for us in order to take out that abstraction and bring it back to a people level. And we know how, we know the mathematics behind that. It's just that we don't apply it, right? Um, um, uh, for example, let's just go to a small group within a, a company. You know, they would, uh, they would not, for example, we have tests for various types of thinking, right? But instead, they would uh, put people together who think alike. And then you will have something like a group think going on, you know, and we'll make all of these fucking mistakes in, 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 in decision-making process, et cetera, et cetera, right? And then going back to, uh, going up to, uh, you know, we know that the most efficient number is about five to seven, right? So, we also know that uh, uh, it's already been studied that a, a, a company be beyond uh, 254 or 250 um, people, you know, loses its uh, identity. And but yet we insist on this large, uh, very very large company. So we already know uh, the extent by which we can keep the scale of what we have built to a more human scale. But yet we insist on building bigger and bigger stuff that are more and more unwieldy to manage, 
right? Do you and, think and, we insist that, or do you think the company, the superorganism itself, insists on that? Because I think you're right that from the human perspective, a smaller company is is better because you're treated better, you know your employees. But companies want to get bigger and bigger. They want to consume other companies. Google yes. wants to be very yes. large, despite what the workers want. Yes, and um, and uh, the 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 reality of the network is that there will be big nodes, right? There will be like large nodes, like a Google or an Amazon or a Microsoft, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But what that that does uh, is actually it homogenizes, you know, a lot of the uh, information out there or what you can do, you know, because the pull of the nodes is so high, just like, you know, you getting sucked into the gravity of Jupiter. There's nothing you can do. But and uh, in fact, in uh, in 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 in, uh, 1992, I gave a plenary speech where I said the biggest uh, danger of the Internet is actually the. Um, uh, the homogenization of information. And we're actually seeing that. And it also goes with our companies, right? Uh, there are big predators and there are prey. It mimics a certain ecosystem. And the the, the big part of uh, what you're asking is that we need to have that awareness that we already know that these things happen, and they are going to happen. So how do we go against the grain of that to create something more on a human scale, right? Population uh, control, going back yes. to what we said earlier. I think yeah. from, from my perspective, it's all about scale. A company yes. of 50 people is very different from a company of 50,000 people, inevitably. I, I know many um, many people will hate me for this but i uh, you know whenever i go back to the philippines i i always ask myself you know what would i do because i feel the population pressure right you're literally shoulder to shoulder with people and uh, and so on it's like you know what will I do if I'm the president of a republic? It's a question that I've asked myself even as a college undergrad in biology. And um, I said, it's two things, you know, it's population and energy, like the, the users of the energy and how much energy supply there is. And, um, uh, and I, in fact, I put my money where my mouth was. Uh, it went, you know, I'm, I'm also trained in pharmacology and toxicology. And uh, at that time, I actually was a recipient of uh, a grant and uh, with the Population Commission, and we actually studied uh, 72 indigenous medicinal plants because we did a survey that uh, uh, women were more likely to use natural uh, herbs, you know, to to curb their fertility than uh, uh, they would go to a doctor, um, and so. Uh, we studied 12, uh, 12 plants uh, and, and, and so on. And, you know, uh, uh, really getting into the, uh, my, my, my uh, work was on Hibiscus rosa sinensis, you know, the beautiful uh, flower uh, known in, uh, very well known in Hawaii, um, and that it prolongs the infertile period of females. But then it was the church that actually opposed the project. So you could see something that we've also created, you know, uh, which is, uh, as I said, you know, we started with Philippines being 300 years in the convent and it's still very strong, right? So there is a very strong opposition to population control. And, um, 
uh, I, I had an argument there with a very high ranking public argument there with a very high ranking um, uh, member of the clergy where I landed myself on the front page of the newspaper where I accused that uh, member of the clergy as, you know, uh, uh, committing genocide by poverty uh, mm. by not allowing population control. So, so you know, we're thinking along the same lines here, right? Uh, here's here's uh, what we have. Um, this is this is what's wired in us, you know, uh, uh, survival and and uh, and uh, reproduction. And then, how then can we uh, control our ecosystems, right? Control our ecosystems, or design rather than control. There's very little under control. Design our ecosystems, you know, such that we are able to. Uh, become part of that node that doesn't disrupt other nodes, but rather becomes cooperative with other nodes. We know the mathematics of networks, right? And we can apply them to us, to people, and we could see how destructive we are. In fact, what I say, Chris, is that, you know, uh, human beings are not the most important species on earth. We're just the most pernicious. And, you know, and, and looking at that, and you, you sort of like, um, uh, have to also take a look, Chris, at, you know, really seeking to educate uh, a lot more, a lot more people, right? Uh, a certain awareness of our place, uh, in this ecosystem. Uh, if you con consider your body as an ecosystem, it's also an ecosystem that's placed within an ecosystem of the entire species. And then that species is within an ecosystem, uh, of the earth, right? And it is, it's, uh, you know, it's been hard for me, but there's been some success. You know, in just in just pushing, for example, uh, evolutionary medicine uh, in in terms of like, okay, you know, you sprained your ankle. How much um, how much uh, uh, analgesic am I going to give you when you know very well that evolutionarily that pain is there to make you sit down and not use that foot, right? So it's the same uh, thinking. Uh, that we put into into this when you know you know how much do we push the artificial that we're we're looking at in terms of artificial creation of institutions etc et versus how much we know uh the how much the ecosystem can absorb in in terms of both abundance and lack right uh the the ecosystem has certain shock tolerances where it will tolerate a certain population of foxes after that it will the foxes will die off so um it it's uh, for me a, a huge part of uh, uh the thinking at least for me is you know there are certain subjects that need to to get taught, you know, from an early age onwards in order for this awareness to to happen. You know, you cannot have the usual reading, writing, writing, arithmetic type uh, of education that we do. We have to start educating on evolutionary biology, evolutionary game theory, you know, all the things that give us a longer lens from, you know, from evolution and into the future, meaning where do we evolve ourselves to in the symbolic sense, right? We cannot, you know, we're trying to evolve ourselves via, you know, CRISPR, Cas9, gene editing, and so on, or designer babies uh, using uh, those technologies, but those are physical, right? And these are sociocultural things uh, that... 
uh, that have to be placed. And I'm actually surprised um, uh, when I'm teaching younger kids uh, today, younger, I mean, in their late 20s or early 30s, um, when, when I teach them that much of the principles that I learned, uh, for example, in, in, um, in my undergrad, they're no longer being taught, right? Um, the the uh, for for me everyone should have fundamentals in statistics and probability because that's the only way you could do rational thinking you know rational thinking is as daniel kahneman says it's the slow thinking it's with much pain that we do it this this the rapid kind of thinking is intuitive fast and usually wrong right uh, and that's the kind of teaching that we need to do you know in order to solve this uh, what I call um, uh, skewed abstraction that we do with, you know, the abstract concept of institutions, et cetera, et cetera. In fact, um, you will like this. I was th even thinking about, you know, who should be candidates to the Supreme Court of the United States. I said, I would like to see a geneticist in there. I don't want to see a bunch of lawyers in there. I want to see a geneticist in there. I want to see, you know, a, an ethicist in there and, and, and things that are now relevant to what we have created. How about a poet? Because, yeah. So, uh, yeah I, so, I call that the, I, I think about this often in terms of astronauts. We send people to have the most extraordinary experiences who are the least capable of conveying how extraordinary that experience is. Test pilots who are trained not to be amazed, not to be befuddled, not to be blown away by the experience. They're, they're taught to always be very calm, cool, you, you know, never show any emotion, never even feel emotion because it interferes with the instruments and, and making rational decisions. I want to send poets to space, right? I want to send artists to space. Let them tell us what it looks like, you know? Let them explain the experience. Yeah. You know, I, I'd, like, I'd like to get back to something you were, you were getting at earlier when you talked about spraining your ankle and, you know, the sort of conflict between modern medicine and some of the evolutionary logic of the body. Um, I worked in hospitals in Spain for years, and I remember one day I was having lunch with some cardiologists, and uh, at the time I was taking fiber capsules and uh, vitamin D supplements, I think, maybe some zinc as well, I'm not sure. And so I, I took out my supplements and I was eating them. And these doctors said, what, what are you doing? I said, I'm taking some supplements. And they, all of them just shook their heads and said, oh, you Americans and your supplements. Why don't you just eat good food? You don't need supplements. So, you know, do you know who Andrew Weil is? Dr. Andrew Weil? Yeah, sure. Yeah, you know, I mean, he, he's been a friend of mine for 30-some years. And this is something we always talk about because um, – you know, obviously he's he's in favor of supplementation uh, to some extent, but I I keep feeling like our body knows what it needs as long as we're eating a varied diet, uh, which is difficult now because of industrial agriculture. Um, but do you feel? Do you ever feel there's a conflict in the sense that when you're giving, um, when you're recommending all these supplements in this very um, tight monitoring of hormones and the micronutrients and all these different systems. Is there a, are we interfering in a sense? Is, isn't there a logic of the body that we should allow it to, to enact? Yes. The, the principle that I follow here is uh, what I've stated earlier. We have created a world where our Model T Ford 
doesn't really function that well, right? And when patients come to me, uh, they uh, already have accumulated so much deficit, you know, in all mm. of these things via uh, really highly toxic lifestyles. Right. Uh, even the exposure to to like my favorite example is phototoxicity or artificial light. Right. Um, your your loss of your day night uh, 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 sensor or uh, sensing cycles. Um, so when you come to me, uh, I, I, I my, my point of view is that, you know, there's this disconnect already between what your body is actually uh, designed for versus the world that we have designed for it. You know, you may be as guilty as I am. You know, I'm I'm rarely in one time zone uh, for two weeks at a time. That's why I define heaven mm. to be, uh, you know, being in one time zone for two weeks. So, um, so, so, uh, I'm I'm guilty with that, right? And so, what I uh, do is, well, uh, I tell them you didn't get to this deficits overnight. Right, you actually accumulated all of these deficits through your lifetime. So when we measure, we see what the deficits are, and what I do is I try to catch up with your deficits as fast as I could, and the fastest would be three months, right? Because the body, uh, the the blood changes uh, every ninety to one hundred twenty days, so you expect the levels to rise. But then at that time, you also have to give very high dose of this stuff to catch up with the deficits, right? Uh, and then after that, for some people, the deficits are severe. You 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 take it all the way to nine months, right? And then you. In that whole process, you're also teaching them how to eat properly. Unfortunately, um, human nature, Chris, as you know, is lazy. So they will say, "Oh, Doctor Ted, I don't wanna, I don't wanna take these supplements. I'm just promise, I'm just gonna eat well." And so I challenge them. I said, "Okay, give me a high source of alpha lipoic acid," and they couldn't say. Give me a high source of CoQ10, and they couldn't say what it is. And I said, "Okay, bring me your chef." I said, uh, and we were going to discuss. So the truth is that for at least for the first visit or the first uh, uh, three to nine months, uh, I give them in intensive um, supplementation just to catch up with uh with their deficits and then let them take it from there with food and stuff and 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 other things that that they want to do but the bigger um issue that i find chris is uh lifestyle right the bigger issue that i find is uh is lifestyle you know uh we don't follow the the sun's movement anymore you know uh we don't eat on you know we 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 eat all of these refined foods uh we uh uh eat uh, uh you know a sandwich on our way to work and uh all of these things that our body isn't used to right so what i do there is you know how can you with science just approximate Right, uh, approximate this. I'd like to say, uh, for example, the fastest disappearing macronutrient in the human diet is uh, fiber. Right, we need about thirty-four grams of fiber a day, and you know, you see, especially kids, uh, for, for that's for adults, and especially kids. You know, they they actually lose uh, uh, a lot of that with you know just eating mac and cheese and all of these uh, uh, other things. So um, uh, that's uh, 
you know, what you do is, well, why don't you cheat with science, right? Why don't you add fiber as your cook, especially in the Philippines, they eat rice, right? So I, I, I actually urge them, if you really cannot uh, do away with rice, why don't you add soluble fiber in your rice? Or why don't you finally chop green leafy vegetables and mix it with rice uh, and so on? So, so for me, uh, the use of science and technology now is how do we adapt if we cannot adapt this body to this uh, new environment that we've created, how do we adapt the environment to us, right? For, for example, my, my, my house has uh, clean air filters, right? Uh, and this is exposomics now, right? Uh, the, your, your, your environmental toxins, you know, my, my house has clean air fi- filters. It has a uh, uh, light uh, that is actually uh, uh, can change its wavelength. Right, uh, in the morning uh, and and the evening, it's uh, less blue, and during the day, it's a more blue spectrum, sort of like mimicking the sunlight. So that's where I use uh, technology, and for me, that's the 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 huge part of why you're getting and these deficits anyway are because you're not eating properly, and and you said that, right? Um, so if you're not eating properly and cannot promise me that you're going to eat properly. You know, then let's remedy it with something that can actually put you back into balance because now we can measure, right? Now we can measure uh, uh, these things. So, um, as regards your 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 comment that um, you know the that uh, sort of like is this interfering with uh, the human body? And if we take a look at, I, I'm going to base this. Um, answer on what we're doing now in terms of anti-aging studies, right? Um, what we're doing now in, ter- in terms of anti-aging studies, especially the model of Aubrey de Grey, is actually very simple. He says, you know, as you age, there will be this this time window where you are going to have start experiencing the chronic diseases, right? And some describe them like diabetes and, uh, and so on, which is uh, actually described as the diseases of aging, right? They're chronic. It's not a, an accident or, or a, an acute infection, um, which is what illness medicine is good for. And, and then death, right? And so he says, is there a way of bringing back uh, turning back the clock such that our body never experiences the state of chronic diseases, right? Uh, so, so, so that when you croak, you just croak, uh, w- you know, with, without, uh, without having severe morbidity uh, at the time that you, that you die. So, so we're, we're seeing those studies now coming and they're coming from the area called epigenetics, which is the control of genes, uh, by the epigenome or uh you know the 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 histone covering of your of your dna and um you know uh, the studies of uh, dave sinclair of course um you're familiar with his work that um uh they they're actually able to at least in 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 particular parts of the body be able to strip away you know those uh epigenetic marks that uh make you older right uh strip strip away it's like a uh, uh the example that he gives and which i like to repeat is you know it's like stripping away the plaque from your teeth so it's it's uh, stripped away so that uh, it's at a condition before you know, the plaque even occurred. And they're able to uh, show this now in 
for example, uh, regeneration of the macula of the eye in macular degeneration, right? So they are able to grow to, to grow back the photosensors uh, of the of the eye, and they they were the, their age is actually before they started degenerating. So hmm. this is where we are right now, and and for me, uh, you know that that process of uh, accumulation of uh, of plaque etc cetera, etc cetera, and is we have accelerated it because of this world that we have created right we have accelerated yeah. the accumulation of that plaque in the world that we have created so where we are is actually hey can we go back you know and and actually decelerate or actually remove this plaque back and right. and the, that's the how the model of Sorry to interrupt you. The, the model of aging and death that you describe, uh, you know, like a healthy life until you die, is how hunter-gatherers live. They don't have these diseases, these chronic diseases, the diabetes and the hypertension. They live a vigorous life into their 70s, sometimes even into their 80s, and then they die in a matter of days. Yes. Um, typically. Yes. So, so I, I'm very s skeptical of the anti-aging movement. I have to, I have to admit, I find, uh, uh I'm very skeptical uh -huh. of the anti-aging movement, uh -huh. um, because it seems to me that it appeals to, uh, the deepest fears of human beings, of course, that we die uh -huh. And uh, very wealthy people in Silicon Valley have this uh, sort of religious faith in technology to solve everyone's problems, which it never seems to do, but it's always about to. It's just around the corner. And uh, they're throwing a lot of money at people like Aubrey de Grey and, and other people who are promising, uh, you know, that people can live forever, which, you know, that's been a promise for thousands of years. Um and uh, it seems to me to be a distraction from the question of can we live better versus can we live longer? That's exactly why I created Health Optimization Medicine and Practice, right? Uh, I always say we're only after detection and correction of imbalances. We don't diagnose and uh, treat disease. We're after the, uh, the quality of life rather than the quantity of life. And that's the whole point why I started. That frustration is actually uh, why I started health optimization medicine and practice. It's uh, because if you take a look at the success of treatment in medicine, for example, they take a look only at five-year survival rates, right? So what's the five-year survival rate of this? And what's the five-year survival rate of that? No, no, for me, it's like, you know, how do you feel today? Did you, were you pain-free today? You know, were you able to move, walk? You know, were you able to, to poop on your own or do your own activities of daily living? Which is uh, very important as uh, one grows older is a sense of independence, right? Uh, being able to do things. One of the most frustrating things is for you to be, you know, um, uh, to be dependent on other people if you have assumed that this, this kind of independence all of your life. And so for me, it's all, it's, it's, uh, that's why I started this because f I want people to pay attention to the quality of life, right? In fact, my patients tell me, um, you know, uh, uh, several things like Dr. Ted, I've been nine months in your, in your protocol of health optimization. It's not anti-aging, it's health optimization. And they go, I don't feel anything. Right. And I asked them, well, you know, how many times did you get sick 
before last year before you came to me so like i i i average about 6 6 6 uh, uh a year and it's about about this year how many times i say oh no you know and quality is like that it's like rear view mirror right uh it's a rear view mirror assessment it's not a, it's not an you cannot do an inductive assessment of uh of um an inductive inference you know it always has to be a a, a rear view mirror and the way i always say it is that if if the World Trade Center never got bombed, which is the equivalent of disease, right? Then no one would ever know the great extent to which you tried to prevent it. And so, and that's the the, the quality of the building standing up. And uh, so, if so, so for me, if you are, and I make no promises, right? All I do is just uh, to, to balance it out, check your deficiencies uh, and toxins, uh, excesses. Uh, like for example, right now I see um, uh, a lot of people with. Uh, with uh, heavy rises in mercury, you know, from the food that they eat, from fish, especially for pescatarians who who love fish. So, um, uh, you know, you you take those out uh, and so on, and, and bring them back to the level which should be zero uh, anyway for for mercury and other toxins, right? But this is a result of what we've done to the environment, right? Uh, everything has leached into our, our our ground, and then we eat the the pla- the 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 animals eat the plants you know the the uh we eat the animals and uh, the toxins come into us so we could see all of this uh interconnectedness uh that's going on but no one's paying attention to uh you know uh how good do i feel today in fact another patient told me i said dr ted you know when he first came to me he said i'm only here because of my wife and you know a year later he says you know i never thought that it was possible to feel this way Right. So there is a, a certain uh, feeling of wellness that that uh, you begin to identify. And the way I relate this to uh, like advances in, in uh, epigenetics, for example, which is, uh, uh, as you said, related in anti-aging medicine, what's your epigenetic age and so on. The way I relate it is this. So we, for example, we develop clocks, epigenetic clocks, like the Horvath clock, which measures the methylation on certain um, CPG islands, they call them, uh, in, 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 your, um, in your epigenome. And um, what's interesting about, this, uh, uh, about these clocks is that it tells you, you know, uh, uh, you, the, the degree of methylation. And what what happens then is what happened then is that they also created another clock on top of that which was called it's now called the grim age clock after the grim reaper and they showed that by just superimposing data of uh, smokers in the framingham heart study right uh, uh about 2000 cases they're able to predict your time to first morbidity time to your first heart attack for example um and uh uh, and this is rational thinking, right? We use statistics to to do these kinds of things, but then now it we start exerting pressure. We health people, you know, who are uh, after quality, now can start exerting pressure with the development of uh, aging clocks like this or anti-aging uh, in, in in another parlance, clocks like this, to present it to illness medicine doctors and say, how much has your protocol made me epigenetically younger? How much has has it removed the plaque? Then suddenly there's an onus on them, right, to say that okay, my metformin therapy is actually is actually, you know, made you older, 
you know, or or uh, uh, because now there are these new things that came in from anti-aging, right? That came in from anti-aging uh, that can now be used to improve the quality of life. So that's how I look at uh, developments in anti-aging like Aubrey de Grey. He's uh, big on synolytics. You know, uh, these are uh, senescent cells in the body that excrete, you know, uh, molecules that can damage the, the uh, surrounding molecules uh, beside it. Right and and uh, cause uh, certain diseases. So uh, you know the 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 goal is actually to take them out, right? Uh, to take them out so they 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 stop doing that. Now, if you're able to do that, then then you are also looking at an increased quality of life by having a decreased morbidity, right? Uh, uh, decreased uh, decreased number of diseases uh, and so on. So. Uh, that's how I. Uh, that's my perspective on the developments in anti-aging medicine. It's what the the now we're actually getting the big benefit of the studies in it is what are the quality measures that we can then use, right? Uh, to where does to, stress? To, sorry to interrupt you. Where does stress and and rest fit into your your model of health? How uh, how important is that? Uh, that is extremely important, right? Uh, uh, in, in fact, if you take a look at um, at our uh, again survival and reproduction, survival is stressful, right? Uh, and uh, uh, so we have our parasympathetic and uh, sympathetic nervous systems, and they are reflexive, you know, to us. We don't even think about them. We uh, this is our fight or flight. Right, right, and our rest and digest uh, systems. So they are very, very fundamental to uh, to the way we look at things. Because again, from an evolutionary lens, this is where we we uh, pass through. Right, everything. Uh, for example, anything that's presented to us is emotionally evaluated in terms of fear. Is this going to kill me, or is this uh, not going to kill me? And it takes just a few milliseconds subconsciously right uh to make to make that assessment and and so we we could see now that this the world that we have created now has has uh basically all the signals that will uh uh uh, uh impinge on the stress system right impinge your sympathetic nervous system and the bad thing about stress is if it's chronic Right, stress is good for you. There's a such thing as use stress, right? Uh, uh, a good type of stress, and um, uh, and and the 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 way I I look at that is that if you look at it molecularly inside the cell, evolutionarily we have two evolved systems, right? We have NF kappa B signaling mechanism, the first uh, uh, thing that the body does uh, to any injury, right? Uh, and even in the rise of your when your cortisol levels rise in response to stress uh, and so on, is that it will it will activate your NF kappa B, and that is uh, it will it will release some inflammatory cytokines. That's uh, that's inflammation on a molecular level, right? But then we also have uh, an evolution on, and what's called an NRF two pathway, right? It's it's uh, after the stress is dealt with, then the NRF two pathway quells that whole uh, process and you're back in dynamic homeostasis, right? We're never at equilibrium. We're actually far from equilibrium always as a, you know, as an energetic system. So 
you know, uh, in other words, uh, if there are physicists who are listening to you, you know, our Gibbs free energy is always far from equilibrium. So, uh, but we achieve dynamic homeostasis that way, right? So we we actually have to put in energy uh, in into uh, into the uh, stress responses and quelling of the stress response also. Uh, requires energy. Now, if the world that we have created actually continuously stimulates your stress, your NRF2 pathway will not respond properly because it's intended for short bursts of stress, right? right. And then you will see then, you know, like for example, you, you have seen probably recent studies that show that um, certain parts of the brain, like the cortex uh, of the brain is much thinner in people that are exposed to chronic stress, right? Or have stressful lifestyles. And a lot of our lifestyles are, are actually, um, uh, Chris, we create them. Um, you know, uh, we create them. It's like, like, uh, you know, I have fucking three kids now, how am I going to feed them and, and so on and so forth. It's like, and, and if you take a look at like, why did you have those kids in the first place? Right. Uh, you know, and people hate me for that. But there's a there's a the, I take a look at the antinatalist stance uh, in terms of these cases. Right. Um, uh, because I, I served in the poorest communities in the Philippines as a requirement for for licensure. Right. Uh, and if, if you're the only doctor serving about 300,000 people, you know, you feel these kinds of things. So why do you have five kids if this is what you're going to the life that your kids are going to have? Right. And the the, uh, the antinatalist uh, stance, uh, in fact, is that if you know that you're not going to bring forth. You know, uh, a, a, a child in an environment where the child can be nurtured, nourished, uh, and so on and so forth, then don't reproduce, right? And people ask me, it's like, why don't you have any, uh, you know, why don't you have any children? You know, you're, 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 your IQ is so high, blah, 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 blah. And so it can become the next Einstein. And my argument is that, or become the next Hitler. You never know these things. You know, there's, there's, it's like this is the fucking wrong argument and that's why i said people yeah. have to be educated about about these things yeah. because the story uh, in their heads is more real and it's just a fucking story that's pieced together by your brain uh, i agree <laughs> i always i always tell people unless you absolutely have to have a child don't Right. It's, yeah. It's like what the, when I was working on my first book, I, I talked to uh, I wasn't even working on it yet. I was just thinking of writing it. And I talked to a friend of mine in publishing and he said, well, Chris, in publishing, what we all say is never write a book unless you absolutely have to. <laughs> I thought that's very good advice. <laughs> you know, uh, sometimes, uh, 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 Chris, you know, say. So, well, I, I started the whole phenomenon of health optimization, medicine, and practice. Now I have to walk the talk, right? I have to be healthy. I have to, you know, I, I'm, but I, I'm lucky. I'm not getting sick. I'm not, I don't know whether it's all, from all the things that I'm doing to yourself. Well, probably, right? But there's also such a thing called randomness, you know, and we could be fooled there by is. something like that. Uh, and, and it's just, it's just funny, uh, how, uh, how the more you the more you educate yourself you know on uh, a lot of a lot of these things the more you will begin to understand you know why the herd needs to get taught right uh, why uh, you know but 
but uh, uh, I, I love uh, always sharing uh, Sherrington's uh, lecture to the royal uh, uh, in the 1947, I think, um, uh, lecture at uh, the Royal Society in London. He said, you know, in any society, you know, it's just like an amoeba. You know, there are very few people. It throws off several pseudopodia in several directions, but there is one dominant pseudopodium or false, false uh, foot that actually moves forward. And there is actually the scientists, the thinkers, and all the great people of the time that pull the society forward. And with enough momentum, with just a few people, you know, the entire body um, would uh, would actually uh, pull, pull the entire society forward. And uh, uh, right now, where I am focused on uh, in terms of, in terms of uh, my, uh, my uh, thinking on how to help on this is how how do I make people realize the illusoriness of the self, right? How how do we make people realize the illusoriness of the self now that we know the neuroscientific basis for it, right? Uh, we know mm. that uh, uh, psychedelics can can uh, give you a temporary dissolution of the self. You know, uh, we know that uh, certain meditative practices can give you a dissolution of the self. And I'm doing this for two things. Uh, it's because, one, I don't want to suffer. And if there's a self that owns the suffering, then I will suffer, right? Uh, pain is inevitable, uh, inevitable, but suffering is optional, as one guy said, and it's the it's the <laughs> egoic self that's suffering, but it's, it's illusory, right? So, you know, and there's nothing holy about that. We know the science behind it. So how then do we uh, shift the awareness that the self is an illusion? And the reason for that, aside from, from reducing my suffering, is to reduce the suffering in the world. Why? Because it's, it's the egoic self that actually wants more profit, wants more, you know, um, child labor to use, wants more human trafficking, wants more pollution in the oceans, uh, and so on and so forth. More, more, more of me. And if that me disappears and just takes a look at, okay, this is, this is, uh, the, the self is arising and it's owning all of these things, even just, even just a, a view, you know, uh, that's why people who take five grams of psilocybin say it's one of the most, uh, uh, uh memorable experiences of their life is, is that there's no one owning that, and therefore there's no one, uh, no one, no one, actually, as Ramdas says, you know, being nobody, no one motivated to just have more, 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 and more, and just have enough, mm. right? And take a look yeah. at our desires and, and so on. So, uh, I, I'm looking at well, is there anything that uh, are there any molecules on a low dose that we could we could take that could actually uh, at even even if the entire uh, egoic self or the illusion uh, doesn't disappear, can we see it arise from our awareness, right? Uh, because my 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 math before the uh, the the book that I wrote uh, was on the mathematics of consciousness, and um, I I was saying in C. elegans the worm, if I take out all the systems that say uh, that that's for feeding, for mating, for locomotion, etc., is there um, a part of the number of, of of neurons that are left that say now I feed, now I mate, now I uh, move? But there's none, and. Uh, now we see that it's the same with us. There's none, right? Uh, mm. It's just uh, an illusion that keeps us uh, that that keeps us 
uh, telling our story of who we are every day. But we should realize that it's just that. It's a story, right? Uh, uh, to, to create your bibliography, to create your whatever you need it for, and to occupy the roles that you need to occupy. Like, the, you know, uh, Dr. Ted is a doctor, Dr. Ted is a teacher, and, and so on and so forth. And those are just roles that you occupy. But uh, the, the thing is, you know, that self that owns them is an illusion. So if we can then uh, be able to, to uh, uh, make people aware that this is an illusion one, and number two, that you can function without such an illusion, unless you, you need to something autobiographical and stuff, it's, it's like, uh, then we could see that a your suffering is less because no one owns anything and number two uh you could see that uh your desire for accumulating more and more things becomes less right uh even for your companies even for your uh and in fact this is the answer that i was leading to to give you you know what do we do about institutions what do you do about this etc it's the people there uh, that needs this kind of uh, this kinds of uh, kind of awareness, so that we could see they could see uh, exactly the interconnectedness of all things. You know, um, the impermanence, uh, the impermanence of things. Uh, you know, uh, nothing lives forever, and and so on and so forth. Uh, and uh, in fact, this if you look back, uh, we know this from neuroscience. If we look back, these are Buddhist meditations, right? Uh, sure. Uh, impermanence, uh, selflessness, uh, you know, uh, uh, attachment to reach, uh, attachment to to ritual and ego and all of that stuff. These these are all, you know, stated uh, over two thousand years ago. So, <laughs> and it, and it know. all circles back to to your concern with health as well, and and what we talked about earlier with with how we live and how we die. I think when that when we address that ego, and and uh, move beyond ego to some extent, we then uh, lose a great deal of our fear of death because what dies yes. is the ego, right? Yes. Yeah, it all why, comes together. Yeah, I don't know why people are so icky to talk about. This is why I don't like to use the ego because it's a value-laden, it's a sense of self-importance. And the younger generation doesn't seem to understand what it is, right? Uh, they always use it in the wrong context. And it's simply a self-referential system. You know, it's been scientifically established where it is, you know, how it uh, how it happens, how illusory it is, uh, and so on and so forth. Um, uh, you know, I'm sure you read Bruce Hood's uh, The Self-Illusion, and that was written in, what, 2012? Uh, but, mm. uh, you know... Yeah, it, it was a it is a wonderful book uh, on how we are actually defined by by uh, everything that surrounds us, uh, you know, and uh, and uh, you know he talks about the Machiavellian baby and and, and so it's, it's about brain development and how we get wired mm. this way. It's actually fascinating. I read the book three times uh, because it's that important. How our memory is a compost heap. You know, there's no such thing as a photographic memory. Uh, you know, that we change memories all the time and, uh, you know, how, how babies manipulate us uh, in, into uh, all these types of thinking because the brain is actually wired from the bottom up, you know, uh, it's wired from the bottom up and and the social culture programming from the cortex actually goes uh, top down and that occurs very much later, right? Uh, Say the name we, of the book again. Uh, the Self-Illusion. The Self-Illusion by Bruce Hood. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll check a, it out. I, I think it was um, 2012. I, you know, and uh, so these are the kinds of things that I think should be taught early, 
right? Uh, aside from evolutionary biology and evolutionary game theory and statistics and probability, you know, and uh, the neurosciences, uh, especially, you know, uh, the illusion of the self and, and so on and so forth, uh, and practices, you know, that uh, allow uh, children uh, at a young age to to realize that uh, this self-referential system is just there. It's, you know, it arises and it's a skill, Right, uh, it's a skill. I don't know. I, I I call that enlightenment. If you're able to to see, you know, to see yourself arising. Oops, it's you know, you see that's a, someone's beginning to own the experience. It's a skill, you know, and uh, mm. that can be taught. And I don't know. There's, there's, I don't think there's anything holy about it. It's just the name that enlightenment is confusing, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, but if we take it in that context, like, uh, so now my secret project is like, can I create uh, something that you could take that can just you know um can just sort of like uh erase a tiny bit of that self-referential mm. system over a period of eight hours or can we do that with some microdosing of certain molecules you know and so on so it's it's it's, I, it's I think, fun yeah it's it fun is the word i, I was just going to say that, that this is why i never trust people who don't laugh i think sense of humor indicates that you have an understanding that the ego is separate from the self, that the that there is a, a ridiculousness to our approach to life when we take it so seriously. Um, that's why I love hanging out with comedians. You know, their their whole lives, their whole perspective is based on that insight. Yeah, um, my mentor uh, in medical informatics, uh, Billy Yamamoto, um, is the founder of the entire field of medical informatics. And I used to be uh, very serious about my work and everything else. And and uh, uh, he, he reminds me, he stands at the door of my lab and he goes, uh, surely, Dr. Echegoso, you must find all of this to your amusement. And, you know, it just cracks me up. Like... Yeah, yeah. If, because, because one time, you know, well, you know, I'm training with the guy who started the whole field of medical informatics. I better consume all the books that have been written about it. So for fucking six months, I was my desk was full of, you know, all the different things that was written about medical informatics, you know, piles and piles of books. And after six months, I, 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 I was current, I thought. And there was a pre-calculus book for high, high school students. You know, it says pre-calculus for high school students. This was on my table because I was working on an equation. And I said, you know, time to get back to basics and see what I'm really missing here. And then he he stands by the doorway and he goes, Chief, this is the first time you've ever impressed me with any of your readings. So... <laughs> That's good. Maybe down the road you can do some research on the effects of laughter on health and longevity. I think that's a a field that needs to be opened up. Yeah, yeah. The yeah. Well, uh, I think when you laugh, um, uh, non if you if it's a genuine laughter, right, a non self conscious laughter, I think you lose the self there. You you lose a a sense of self reference. It's just and I'll bet laughter. Just guessing, I'm no expert, but I would suppose that there are hormonal uh, changes in the body that happen with laughter that are very beneficial on a cellular level. Yeah, I think there are studies. Uh, there's this um, 
London scientist who studies laughter. And I, I, I listened to one of her podcasts and this is what she does. She studies them and she studies mm. what hormones are. Are I, I ought to look up at what she has published. Uh, but yes, yeah. they do. Laughter but I'm sure, and la- I'm sure oxytocin is one of them. I'm sure oxytocin yeah, is sure. one of them. Yeah. Yeah. For sure, for sure. <laughs> Listen, uh, Dr. Ted, I would love to talk with you all day, but they're going to kick me out of this hotel. <laughs> so we're going from the very uh, high-level conversation to very low-level uh, pedestrian concerns here. Uh, th- <laughs> thank you so much for your time, and I, I hope someday we can do this in person so we don't have the the awkward delay and the, the strange computer uh, mediation of our conversation. Well, we should. Uh, I I can only hope that we could meet with my uh, uh, new camper. So yeah. Well, once <laughs> once you get it, uh, get in touch, and I'll give you some. I'll drop you some pins of some excellent places to camp. I would also need your advice, man. It's the first time I will be doing it. All right. Well, I'll see you down the road. Thanks for doing this. Thank you for having me. Okay, mom. Uh, tell people what they can order from the garage. Okay, in our cottage garage, we have lots and lots of T-shirts. Sex at Dawn, Civilized to Death, Vanthropology, Tangentially Speaking, Paleo Modern, and Talking Out of My Ass. (laughs) She didn't like saying that last one. Then we now have some new things added. We've got beer cozies. Or koozies, or whatever they're called. Oh, civilized to death. Design. They're all civilized That's right. to death. We have stickers and car decals, right? Yes. Okay, there you have it. That's Julie, my mom. He said, baby, what's a big deal? Feel what you want to feel. Say what you want to say. You're going to die one day. For example, I could kiss you Just because I want to What's the difference if you turn away? I'm gonna die one day Why do you waste your time Thinking about your reputation Trying to meet an expectation Wondering what they're gonna say Doesn't ask for much A little music and a soft touch Why don't you let it out to play Your heart is in a birdcage Singing in your chest You wanna shut it up but give it a rest You're gonna die one day Why do we waste our time Thinking about a reputation Running from a confrontation Wondering what we ought to say (laughs) When everyone we've ever known Is headed for a headstone I don't want to give the end away We're gonna die one day We're gonna die one day We're gonna die one day So 
what's a big deal if you wanna be free? Say what you wanna feel. Spend the night with me. I'm gonna take you up in my arms, and if we must go down, we'll go singing to the smoke alarms. We'll dance into the ground.